Grace and peace from the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be multiplied to each and every one of you in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who has brought us from a kingdom of darkness and into a kingdom of his marvelous light. Good morning, saints, and Happy New Year. It's always um, a sacred moment for me every time I'm called to stand on the gap to proclaim a testimony to the very majestic name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist said, let us go to the house of the Lord. And here we are standing in the house of the Lord together, even as I share with you a brief word of exhortation. My profound gratitude always goes to Pastor Mike and the elders of Fishkill Baptist Church for entrusting me with this pulpit to witness the glory, the majesty, and the manifold excellencies of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Today's message comes to us from the Gospel according to Luke, and we are going to be look at chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Ten short verses. Luke chapter 19 Verses 1 through 11, a familiar story, and my message is entitled, A New Resolution to Seek Christ. A New Resolution to Seek Christ. Without any further delay, let me invite you to stand on your feet and open your B-I-B-L-E-S, your Bibles, to Luke chapter 19. I commence reading God's word. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was, a, he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they grumbled. He has gone into the to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Thus far the reading of the Word of God for the people of God. May God add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the proclamation of his word. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, who is now enthroned in the heavens, 
And Jesus Christ, our high priest, who is right now interceding for us. And our Holy Spirit, our eternal guardian. We now stand before your holiness. We ask that you lift your countenance upon us. Turn your face towards us and be gracious to us and speak to us. We ask that according to your loving kindness, according to your great mercy, that would you cause our hearts and our minds to hear and to do. And as for me, Lord, the broken vessel, I come asking that you bid pride, deceit, and malice from my lips. I groan inwardly asking that you touch these lips of clay that I'm, what I say here might be in agreement with sound biblical words. Give me strength to divide your word rightly and correctly. We eagerly look up to you to bless our time together and reserve the highest honor and glory to the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I was talking to someone and I told them these are only 10 verses. I'm going to wrap up the sermon in about 10 minutes or so. So whenever you read any text in the Bible, the first thing that you ought to do is to look at the text and examine it to see and to make sure that you understand what the text is actually saying before you move on to the next step of interpretation and determining how it applies to your life and my life. So I'm going to invite you to walk with me through this text almost verse by verse so that we can try and flesh out the text and be able to say conclusively this text is talking about such and such um, issue. Let us begin with verse 1. It says he entered Jericho and was passing through. We know that this verse provides us with at least three facts. Fact number one, it gives us exact geographical location where this event is taking place. This is happening inside the city of Jericho. Fact number two, Jesus is passing through Jericho. He's not coming to do ministry in Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem, so he's just walking through the city. The other verse that the other fact that you may also see is the fact that the text is actually beaconing us, prodding us to look at the events of the preceding chapter in Luke chapter 18. So now we know for sure this event is happening right inside the city of Jericho as Jesus is weaving his way through to Jerusalem. Now you all know that Jericho was an ancient city with a rich history. And this city sits about less than 20 miles away from the city of Jerusalem and a couple of miles from River Jordan. This city is also famous because this is where Rahab the harlot hid the two spies. So it is a city with rich history. With regards to the events of the previous chapter, that is chapter 18, we see one incident whereby Jesus met a synagogue ruler who was very wealthy. 
And he asked him, what shall I do to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus told him to go sell everything that he had, give it to the poor and come and follow Jesus. And the text tells us the man went away sad because he was of man of great wealth and he lacked the courage to let go. The other event that we actually see happening as Jesus was entering the city of, as he was approaching Jerusalem, is that Jesus met a man who was blind. And that man kept on shouting, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. But the more he continued to shouting, people continued to tell him, be quiet. But he continued even the more. The desire of this blind man was simply to see. He was determined to call upon the help of Jesus regardless of the rebukes he was receiving from the crowd to be quiet. So I want you to view the story of Zacchaeus within these two lenses of a man who wants to see and of a man who is wealthy because this is how Luke ties the events together. Look with me to verses 2. It gives us a brief profile of a certain man. It tells us, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. So now we know the name of this man. His name is Zacchaeus. We know his profession. He is a tax collector. We also know his financial status. He is rich because we have already received his tax returns. It is no coincidence that Zacchaeus is rich. How could he not be? He is a tax collector. His name identifies him as a Jew. And this man is not just an average tax collector. He is a chief tax collector. He has several layers of tax collectors who are working directly under him. He is a prominent man. Everybody knows him. He's up there, if you want to say he's up there in the pecking order of tax collectors. He's one of those top hunchos. He's one of those top kahunas in the tax collection system. Now the tax collectors, we are known to collect a little bit more than what they were required to. And in that process, they became very wealthy by lining up their pockets with ill-gotten gains. They were men of dubious character. Men of suspicious character. Men whom you run away from. In short, the image that we are given here of a tax collector is a man who is hated. A man who is despised and a man who is occasionally grouped together with sinners and traitors. So here we get the overall picture of this man, Zacchaeus. He is a prominent man with the authority to collect taxes. He's a filthy rich man, a man who is hated, despised, and treated guilty unless proven innocent. Remember what Jesus has told the rich man in the previous chapter 18? He said how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Because the man walked away because he couldn't sell his belongings. There was that attachment to the things of this world. There was that strong attachment to his wealth. Now look at me, verses 3, where it tells us a unique desire of this man. Verses 3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. 
but on account of the crowd you could not because he was a man of small stature. So it is clear from this text that Zacchaeus has never met Jesus before and he badly wants to see him. And you and I know at this point in Jesus' ministry, Jesus is now going to Jerusalem to be crucified, which means he has concluded or is concluding his public ministry. So we know at this time the fame of Jesus has spread out through the land of Judea, throughout Galilee and throughout Samaria and all over. And it is natural for someone like Zacchaeus to be curious to want to see who this Jesus is. It is natural for even you and I to want to see someone famous or a celebrity just out of curiosity. Do they have three nose? Do they have three eyes? Just a curiosity of how do celebrities look like? How do they live? So it's not unusual for for Zacchaeus to want to see Jesus. But the text tells us that his efforts are being thwarted by two obstacles. First is the crowd. And second is his short stature. He's a short man. He's a midget, so to speak, because if he was just an average short man, that wouldn't really capture any attention. But he appears Zacchaeus was shorter than the average person. In many ways, we are all like Zacchaeus. We have this deep desire to know Jesus to have an encounter with him, to know him. But we have obstacles and hindrances that prevent us from getting a good view of who Jesus is. And some of those hindrances are inward. They may relate to your attitude or your inclination towards the scriptures. Or they may be something external. Things that prevent you, the business of life. Therefore, it's up to you because you know yourself better. You know what obstructs you from seeing Jesus. I urge you, this is the beginning of the year. It's a timeless moment. It's a very appropriate moment for you to examine yourself. Know the things that have been keeping you away from devoting yourself to Christ. Those things that have been preventing you from seeing Christ in clarity. You need to remove them. You need to identify them so that you can make a new year resolution to seek Christ. That should be the clarion call when you live here. You need to identify that which keeps you from seeing Jesus 2020. So that you can set it aside and make a resolution to seek to know him better. Look at verses 4 and see how creative Zacchaeus becomes. And see whether you can become as creative as Zacchaeus. Verses 4 he says, So he ran on ahead and climbed upon a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. You see, desperate desires require desperate measures. Desperate desires require desperate methods to achieve those desires. Zacchaeus so badly wanted to see Jesus that he does things that are undignified and humiliating to a man of his social standing and a man of his character. He's a grown, wealthy man climbing on a tree like a boy to see Jesus. That's how badly Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. He is willing to cast aside his social standing. He ran ahead and exposed himself to ridicule and embarrassment by climbing on a tree 
And suddenly a rich man is not expected to climb a tree to watch Jesus pass by. And my question to you is how desperate is your desire to see Jesus? Is it just a casual desire to see Jesus? Or is it that burning desire to say, I want to know Christ? What is your desire? How desperate is that desire? What are you going to do to break through those barriers and those obstacles and those oppositions that have been keeping you from seeing Jesus 2020? Now, I want you to picture this in mind. Just a few hours ago, Jesus was entering the city of Jericho and he just restored sight to a blind man. And you can imagine what such a stunning miracle would have done to the crowd. I want you to see this crowd, this procession, full of excitement, walking with Jesus through the city of Jericho. It's like a pandemonium. It's like a, it's like a parade. You know, it's, it's like, a, like a huge procession. It's so much excitement. I want you to feel that excitement as you put yourself in there. You see the mood of the crowd. And Jesus is weaving his way through the streets of Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. And he has a large entourage of disciples and onlookers and crowds that are cheering. Then listen to verses 6 and see what happens next. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. And so Zacchaeus hurried down, came down and received Jesus with great joy. I tell you, in God's economy, there are no accidents. In God's economy, there are no happenstances. There are no lacks. This is a divine moment when everything works together for God's eternal purposes. Zacchaeus is there passed on a tree, which in a way is an imagery of you and I in our social standing, in our academic achievements, in our wealth, in our accolades. We patch ourselves in a sycamore tree. Jesus comes by and calls Zacchaeus by name. It is a divine imperative. He tells him to hurry and come down. God knows you by name. He calls his own. He calls your name before the foundation of the earth was laid. Don't be surprised when God comes and calling you by name. He knows you by name as much as he knows Zacchaeus. He knows what you need and what you need is Jesus in your life. That's why he came to save you. He knows your great need. Zacchaeus, though he was seeking for Jesus, in reality it was Jesus who was seeking Zacchaeus. There are no accidents here. Could I be speaking to someone who is patched up there in your sycamore tree of social standing? Jesus is calling you and he's telling you to come down for today. He must visit your house. Could I also be speaking to someone here who is passed up there in a sycamore tree of financial success? You think you don't need it. Jesus is calling you and he's telling you to come down and receive him with great joy. 
Could I also be speaking to someone here who is passed up there in your sycamore tree of academic success? The hope, the American dream. Jesus is calling you and he's telling you to calm down quickly because today he has to dwell in your heart. Look at verses 7, see how the people respond, how the crowds respond. Verse 7 says, and when they saw it, they grumbled. In Greek, it's gogusmos. You know that? They grumbled. And they said, he has gone in to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. You see, they are judging Jesus and they are also judging Zacchaeus. But let's be clear here. Zacchaeus is not a victim of malignment. Zacchaeus is not suffering character assassination. Zacchaeus knows himself, and you know Zacchaeus, and everybody knows Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector. He has laid treasures for himself by unfair and unlawful means, extorting money from people as a tax collector. He's not being accused unfairly, but we see Jesus. He's being accused unfairly because he is simply dining with the outcasts. The kind of people you and I would consider being excluded or sitting at the peripherals of the kingdom of God. Jesus is being vilified for no other reason other than associating with the people like you and I. And this again, when you read through the Gospels, this seems to be the routine response of the people whenever Jesus associates with the people who are considered like desirables or people who live in certain neighborhoods or people who speak with different languages. Now, you, you can't read that verse without hearing that echo of the song we sing, Marvelous Love of God. Love, grace and mercy that is greater than all my sins. Grace and mercy that reaches to the vilest, even to Zacchaeus and even to you. Then we go to events of chapter verses 8 and 10 and we know they are taking place at Zacchaeus' house. And it's probably within the city. Because Zacchaeus is a rich man, most likely he lives in the city of Jericho. So we assume Jesus went to the house of Zacchaeus in the city of Jericho. And listen to verses 8. And Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore four folds. Zacchaeus knows who he is. He is a cheat. He's a tax collector. Zacchaeus is a thief. He has a record mile long. He's a defrauder. He's an extortionist. He is hated and he is despised. But it is clear from Zacchaeus' words, something transformative has taken place in Zacchaeus' heart. Something transformative has happened into Zacchaeus' heart. Apparently, the overwhelming sense of guilt and conviction of his past life. He makes 180 degrees turn. He was going this way. He makes 180 degrees turn. He goes this way. 
It is a change of life. A mere curiosity that started Zacchaeus just wanting to know Jesus either casually ended up with an unexpected encounter with Jesus Christ that left Zacchaeus a radically transformed man. When you read the scriptures, do you come out like Zacchaeus? Radically transformed, hating the way you have been living and making a confession to live different. This is what we call repentance. And we see that the first fruits of genuine repentance is a resolve to depart from sin and bear good fruit in keeping with the repentance and the salvation that you have received from God. That is the first evidence of genuine repentance, departing from sin and following Christ. The Bible says those who call upon the name of the Lord, those who say they are saved, they must depart from evil. Acts of charity and justice are the first fruits of true repentance. They are the first fruits of our care for one another. They are a reflection of what is happening inside. Zacchaeus immediately commits to give a half of his wealth, a half of his treasures to the poor. He also commits himself to rectify the injustices that he has done to people in the past. He has made a 180 degree turn. He was taking from people. Now he is giving back to the people he has stolen from. Four times. You know, those are the kind of resolutions you can say and you can, you can stand and say here. Now, even as I'm sitting here, here, now, today, this moment, I resolve to live by a new set of standards, forsaking sin and doing the right thing, forsaking sins and living according to the biblical standards, living according to the life that has been mapped for us in the sacred scriptures. And this is a reminder and a call to you and I to examine our own hearts, where we have been going wrong, where we have been tripping, where we have been sinning, where we have been disobedient, whereby we have been clearly transgressing the law of God. It is up to you and I, even at the beginning of the year, even on a special day like today, the day that has been set aside for the name of God, that is called by the name of God, and it's also a, a day where we have a new beginning. It's a very appropriate moment for you to examine yourself and see what areas you've been falling short so that you can make a resolve to live a repentant life. I assure you that these new kingdom values may look upside down, and sometimes they look radical to the rest of the world. But that is what God calls us to be. He calls us to be different from the rest of the world. To live lives that are radical, that show that we belong to someone else. That we have been saved. That we have departed from ways of sin and have embraced Jesus Christ. And so here we see Zacchaeus stands up for everyone to see and everyone to hear. As Zacchaeus makes confession and resolves to make amends for his past wrongs and live rightly. 
He doesn't want to do it at the back street. He comes to the front of the church and makes his confession. He says, this is what I was, but I have changed. 180 degrees down, this is what I am going to be. This is what I am going to do. This is what Zacharias, Zacchaeus has done. So here we see the fruits of genuine repentance and salvation. And you will call when John the Baptist came to prepare the way for the Lord. Different people came to him asking, what shall we do? And you remember the tax collectors came to him and he told them, collect no more than what you're allowed to. So this is not the first time Zacchaeus is hearing that message of collecting no more than what is lawfully allowed. Now look at verses 9 and see Jesus. Here Jesus is affirmation of what has actually transpired here. What has actually happened here. Now you may spend time beating above the bush and trying to figure out what happened here. Wait no longer. Look at verse 9. Jesus tells you what happened. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Since he is also a son of Abraham. Now, when I read these words, I was trying to figure out what this text is talking about. But I was completely convicted that this passage and this story of Zacchaeus is a teaching of salvation and a call to resolve to live good lives that bear fruit in keeping with our repentance and our salvation. I'll say that again. The story of Zacchaeus... It's not so much about Zacchaeus or his attributes, but it's a story that tells us that we need to live lives that are congruent, lives that are in agreement with the salvation that we have received. In short, this story is about a man named Zacchaeus and how he came to salvation and how he came to have a desire to know God, how he repented of his sins, that is as simple as our salvation works. You seek the Lord as he may be found. And Jesus calls you. You repent of your sin and you depart from your ways of sin. Now, I always like to kind of go over the text so that when I begin to apply the text, you now might not say I'm an heretic. Even if you don't agree with how I get to the application, at least you understand the scripture and you understand what the passage is talking about. So now that we know that the story is teaching about salvation, let me give you three take-home points that you and I can glean from this text and put them into practice. The first thing or the first point is that teaching this text is teaching is that we need to have a burning desire to see Jesus and to know who he is. We need to have that burning desire, that unquenchable fire to know Jesus, to come into a fresh encounter with him. That should be driving us every day. Zacchaeus was a wealthy man with everything that he probably would have needed to live a comfortable life. But he had this burning desire, this unstoppable desire to see Jesus. And we see that in spite of the hindrances of the crowds and his physical limitation, he did things that cost him his dignity, things that would have been an embarrassment to him. He climbed on a tree simply to get a good vantage view of Jesus. 
You and I, we don't need to climb to sycamore trees because we have the very word of God, the very word of Jesus in these Bibles. The Bible that you're holding is the true word of Jesus, the true word of God. You don't need to climb a sycamore tree to see Jesus. We simply need to have a burning desire to spend time in the word, seeking the face of Jesus and asking him to have a fresh encounter with us. So that we may know him. We need to have a burning desire to devote ourselves to prayer. A burning desire to associate and fellowship with one another. Even as we seek an encounter as a community with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We need to have a burning desire for the things of God. Second point that I want you to take home with for application that this text tells us Jesus calls each one of us by name and he calls us to come to have a personal relationship with him. The calling to Christ is not a calling to an idea. It's a calling to a person. Jesus has come to the house of Zacchaeus and he tells Zacchaeus, I am going to be a visitor. I'm going to be coming to your home today. I'm coming to fellowship with you. When Jesus calls us, He's not calling us to an idea. He is not calling us to a religion. He's calling us to have a personal relationship with him. Our text told us that Zacchaeus, that Jesus reached, when Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was perched on sycamore tree, he called him by name and instructed him to come down quickly because Jesus had determined to be his visitor. So now could I be speaking to someone here who is patched up there in a sycamore tree, seeking to see Jesus in a more clear way? Or could I be speaking to someone who is patched out there in your lofty social standing and you cannot hear the word of God, or you've been rejecting, or you've been resisting that soft call of Jesus, asking you to come down from your lofty place and trust in him. I urge you to come down. Today is the day of salvation. Today, the beginning of a new year is an appropriate moment to make that resolution that you are not going to resist that call of Jesus that you hear so often when you read the scriptures. I urge you to come down from your lofty places. I urge you to come down from your sycamore tree and joyfully receive Jesus Christ. The third point of application that we can glean from this text is that salvation is accompanied by true repentance. And that true repentance is demonstrated by a 180 degree turn from our sins and embracing life of righteousness. You say, this is the way I've been living. This is the way I'm going to live. It's a 180 degree turn. There is no repentance. There is no salvation without turning away from sin and turning to Christ. We need to make a resolution today to live by a new way of standards, to live by a new set of new values, to depart from sin and embrace Jesus Christ. To live by values that are anchored, values that are fastened according to the biblical teaching of the Bible. We see that Zacchaeus made a bold resolution to depart from wicked ways and he said these words. 
Listen to what he says, and I want you to take that home with you. If you take nothing else from here, take these words. He says, behold, he's talking to the Lord. He's not talking to his wife. He's not talking to his spouse. He's not talking to the crowd. He's making this resolution to Jesus Christ. He says, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore fourfold. That is a bold resolution. Dear brothers, I urge you to examine your life and see areas where you have fallen short and make bold resolution to Jesus that beginning today, that beginning this moment, beginning when you walk out of this this room, you are going to live under different set of values. That you are going to seek Jesus Christ that you are going to answer his call, that you are going to live a life that is full of charity and justice. Look at verses 10, which closes our text by reminding us the reason why Jesus Christ came to this earth. He came to seek and save the lost. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You can put yourself there. You can say, for the Son of Man came to seek me. The Son of Man came to seek me, Nicholas, lost to save me. Put yourself in those words. So we all know that Jesus' ministry, earthly ministry, even where he is sitting now, is still looking and seeking the lost. He is reaching out to the lost to save them, even the vilest like you and I. I meant to wrap up in 10 minutes, I told you. Stand with me as we pray. <clears throat> Lord God Almighty, who is now enthroned in the heavens above, and Jesus Christ, our Heer and our Brother, our High Priest, and the Holy Spirit, the one who convicts us of our sin, and the one who gives us the revelation from our Father, the one who searches the mind of God, such a mind and such a heart to turn us towards Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, we give you thanks because you've been gracious to us. You have fed us with your word and our hearts are rejoicing. All these things we give thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing our